But at this challah bake, I saw a grandmother holding a baby. It was obviously a grandmother. I said, oh, how old is the baby? Two months old, and babies touch everyone's hearts. I went and, you know, came around talking to her and quickly understood that the baby's mother gave birth on her own. Um, the baby's father is kidnapped in Aza. Um, the mother's obviously enveloped in love from the family and everything, but nothing could take the place of the trauma she's going through inside and has gone through. This is Chapters, a podcast dedicated to exploring our story. Who am I and what am I meant to be doing in this world? Perhaps through listening, understanding, questioning, we better understand our own story. Hi, Khani. Good morning. It's such an honor to be here. Khani is an incredible shlacha, the city of Eilat, a quaint little town on the periphery of Israel, all the way, all the way down south, a small community of 50,000 people. And I've had the honor and privilege in the past three weeks almost to be in your presence almost three months ago. 70,000 evacuees and refugees moved all the way down south um, with no home, no place to go, no family. They were put into hotels. And the first person that they came running to, like every Israeli, wherever you are there in the world, they always know Chabad will be there. Personally, in the past three weeks that I've known you, you're one of the kindest, most down-to-earth, non-judgmental people I've ever met. You open your heart and your home to people. You care about people. And it's been an honor to know you. And you really, really care. And you really, really see people for who they are. And you're a very inspiring person. So firstly, thank you for having me. It's a huge honor. So the first thing I want to get to, this podcast is called Chapters. So a little bit about where you grew up, how you grew up, and what led you to really be a shlacha today. So I was, I'm very lucky to have been raised in shlachas. My parents uh, were sent to Milwaukee, Wisconsin 55 years ago. Wow. I was brought up in that, in that ideal and, uh, knowing that we're living and trying to bring nachas to the Rebbe and fulfill the Rebbe's vision of the world and ultimately of the final geula. And I always knew inside that I would be continuing on shlichas somewhere in the world. I did not know when I was in seminary in Tzfat <laughs> and came to visit a lot uh, that this would become my corner of the world. Um, and it's been... It's been it's been beautiful. It's been a journey uh, for myself, for our family, and and this has become a new a new chapter in so many ways. This as the war broke out, and um, we've somehow become at the tip of Israel. The kind of like hold, in some ways it feels like holding Israel up from the bottom, um, from the bottom up, trying to uplift whatever's going on in any way we can from the from the tip upward. I mean, I've seen it close up. The people that came to Ela are the people probably from the most traumatized communities in the ATF. And you see it, you feel it, you become part of it, and people don't know about it. People in the world don't know that there is over 100,000 evacuees, refugees. Everyone loves to talk about the Palestinians, how they're refugees, but these people really have nowhere to go. And they're living in hotels in one bedrooms. What was the first weeks? Like the first week, what was that like? So 
there, you know, if I look back at the beginning of the world, th things have evolved so much to what the needs were in the beginning and what they are now. The first weeks was just frantic, just, first of all, people just surviving and in absolute shock. And we, we all were. And that was without it coming firsthand with, with firsthand uh, contact with terrorists and terror and death. Um, but people were coming here. I mean, blank, very blank faces, just hollow looks. Um, if I'm talking about survivals of the Nova Festival, Eilat people or non-Eilatis and also the people just racing here from Kibbutzim and then being um, or, uh, evacuated by the government from cities in Kibbutzim and Yishuvim around um, Aza. Um, and the first needs were very physical, um, clothing, uh, I, I mean, basic, very basic uh, necessities, very basic clothing, basic just... Uh, uh, the things any person needs to survive, toiletries. Um, very quickly after a few days, a huge need came around laundry. You know, these Whoa. hotels aren't set up to, you know, it sounds like, oh, they're going to hotels. <laughs> you know, that sounds like a wonderful life. It's actually hotels, we, I think we all know, going on vacation for a day or two or three, you know, and then you come back home and you need your normalcy. And then to do it with kids and families and to have come without anything. So laundry became a huge huge necessity it caused fights it caused a lot of stress just you know as is you you don't have any control of your environment and then just you're doing cleaning clothes for your children and you know you know hotels are set up for you know maybe they have a laundry service for a few guests that are interested in doing laundry they are not set up for big families and I'm constantly needing laundry and so you know a, one one washing machine for whether it's 300 families or 550 families and the lines and the fights that would uh, create between communities. So that became a huge need. And so helping get facilitate washing machines in hotels so that instead of one machine for 550 families, we, you know, we had one on each floor for, so one machine for 50, for 55 families until we were able to up it to two machines per four. So two machines for 55 families. But that need, you know, solely with time. And then um, after we had started that initiative and the city kicked in and was able to take care of that. Again, all, all these things took a few weeks to get the, even a month, over a month to get just the basic necessities met. And then the need very, very quickly became um, the children, the children, the children. We need just the relief for the parents that their children are taking care of, that they have, um, it took a very long time to set up, you know, any sort of school system or gun system for them. Um, I remember it was the first week when the war broke out and I, first of all, the whole country was in some sort of fear, locking doors and not sure, you know, where the next terrorist would walk in on. Um, so there was a certain fear and people really locking down all over the country. I mean, people talk, you know, till this day, you could hear two, three weeks, nobody left their homes. And here in a lot, we were, in one hand, in a bubble, I wouldn't say the fear didn't exist, um, but we were also put straight into action because there were so many people with such needs. And now I also remember um, at the beginning of the war, the first few weeks, the first month at least, um, the amount of uh, reservists that were called up and into the Eilat area because it was far enough not to get missiles here, to have so many soldiers um, called up and in open shetach, open areas, they needed it somewhere further away. And this, the whole Eilat region is known anyway for ton, the amount of bases because there's just open regions for practice and um, kind of uh, getting ready for war. So we had hundreds of thousands of soldiers out, not in bases. The bases weren't built to outfit so many, so they had them out 
just in open um, areas, open training areas, sleeping out outdoors. So also the huge needs that were coming in at first from base commanders. You know, we need wipes. You know, just the, the, the soldiers were showering with wipes. And um, the, those needs, the tzitzis, you know, the, the, every soldier wanted their pair of tzitzis, so the huge need of procuring tzitzis. There were no tzitzis anywhere in Israel. So there was those needs, but that kind of has calmed down, and also most of the the reservists have moved out of this area, and now we have all the regulars, which is also a huge amount that are regular here in the Eilat area. But um, And the need has just continued to be the children, the children programming, and now we see just the huge emotional need of everyone, the families, the women um, being being so long without homes, without being able to touch a fire, uh, you know, boil a pot of pasta for your child, you know, hotel food isn't that fun for an extended period of time. Imagine living with an allergy, um, just a picky child or a non-picky child, being able to just cut up a salad for your child. And in that first week, I remember um, just that feeling of, I think what it, now I know, you know, it's probably called survivor's guilt, you know, on the one hand, a little bit of fear and where, where is the next front? Maybe it's a lot, maybe, you know, from the Sinai desert, we're going to have, you know, God forbid terrorists coming in right from the mountains behind the house, um, <laughs> God forbid something like that. But it also, because there, there was such a call to action immediately to, for the Chayalim and for the evacuees, we just got out of the house right away and it got us into a different place of the war, actually, uh, much easier place to live in the war. We're very lucky that we're able to be on the giving end and, so to say, doing things that that are just happy things. Um, being able to give, yes, we are encounter, and we've become accustomed and we know what the people are going through from, like you, you, you put it, hard-hit places, places that are missing a quarter of their population, either kidnapped or killed, you know, kibbutzim that have one out of every four is either kidnapped or killed. That's that's huge. You encounter, there's no person that wasn't personally um, affected. Um, I'll go back to that in a minute, but even the less hard hit places, a big city like Steyrot, the children, the people, every single one is an extreme trauma. We're not talking about the years of trauma of constantly having to run to safe rooms and know that a missile is 15 seconds away. Um, so they're already living with this extreme trauma. And then to have your city infiltrated and the the municipality infiltrated your police station overcome and you know with the plan and and leaving the, your homes and evacuating over 30 dead bodies you know having to see that children seeing dead bodies of people that you know in their city i mean people are living every single person here is leaving with huge trauma not even talking about that they don't know when they'll, it will be safe to go back home that they don't have normal schooling situations, even if there's, you know, temporary schooling from nine o'clock to one o'clock, um, having some sort of schedule, living in a room with your entire family. We're talking about teenagers who were kids in COVID, you know, stuck in the home with their whole family, now stuck in a hotel room under such traumatic circumstances without any, not knowing what the future brings. And now they're the teens of the war, you know, just without any day and night hours and just looking for, you know, they're not sure what they're looking for, but when we're able to come and provide a little something, a little love, a little bit of um, seder and orderliness and give them, you know, some just attention, having our volunteers come and just spend those nighttime hours with them, just talking and and just showing them that the, the world Jewish community is thinking about them constantly 
and once they give them that, that's very, very uplifting to the people. And that is, it's, it's, um, it's very, very significant. It's not just like, oh, we're just coming to tell you something. No, it actually uplifts and changes what's going on inside their lives. And also, so that's the same thing with the mothers and the children being able to provide programming, whatever we can, whether it's, you know, our regular Moadonim and mini camps that volunteers are able to come and make personal relationships with children on a regular basis. And the children know they'll show up tomorrow and the next day and the next day and they'll bring interesting things mm-hmm. and art and things for us to do. Or even the English, they've, <laughs> the kids have really, really enjoyed all the, all our volunteers. And you know this firsthand. <laughs> Hannah has the way I met Hannah. I have the privilege of meeting Hannah as Hannah came here. Um, as a volunteer to just help in any way she can. And she's done a tremendous job um, with the children, everyone who she comes in contact with. And this is Hana and all the volunteers who have come um, have just made a huge impact. Hana and her group were supposed to leave at the beginning of next week. And I literally had the woman in charge of the education of the Eshkol, which is all the kibbutzim and yeshuvim right on the um, Gaza border, said, please, no, you don't even know what an effect and what a relationship they've built. Is there any way you can keep them for at least a bit longer? It's been too short, and the children have built such beautiful relationships. So that's what's going on. I feel like that was one long run-on sentence. No, you're amazing. Like, there are certain images that you told me in the first week, that fact that, like, Chabad, you is like raising money to put washing machines into five-star hotels. Like these images, the fact that like Imal Kachvat, which is one of the nicest hotels, well, now it doesn't feel like such a nice hotel. (laughs) It's run down by children and it's not easy for the, it's not at all easy for the hotel staff. They are, people are run down. It's, it's been, it's not easy knowing every single um, guest in your hotel by name, the amount of children that are there and bicycles and, and riding toys in the halls, the animals. noise level animals um, in these five-star hotels, um, you know, having children, you know, have a tantrum and run down your office. <laughs> um, but the hotels have done amazing things. You see kids with tags of the hotel and they each have a, a job that they're in charge of, whether it's, you know, keeping the safety of other children or they're in charge of cleaning up the lobby and, you know, feeling that they are important and they have... Uh, some sort of, you know, chore or something in charge of. And that's just the amazing things that the staff has been able to evolve and do things that were never, they never dreamed of doing as hotel staff, the, you know, the CEOs of hotels printing tags for the kids and thinking of ideas. How can we just make it a little better and a little better? Even though the hotels themselves, the industry is suffering greatly, um, literally don't know how they're going to come out of this um, and how long this is going to last either. But it's been, it's been a, it's been a journey and um, a privilege in many ways for everyone involved because, like I said, we get to um, we get to really touch. Uh, people have been so hurt. What's been interesting, what's been happening is that people are coming here um, a certain vulnerability, but also a certain openness because anything that we was familiar until October seventh, anything familiar is not familiar anymore, the entire world as we knew it. And so there's a certain just reshaping our world and our thinking and and the huge part of that becoming relationships and seeing what what does that mean and and just also the soul thirsting for some for something, some sort of explanation, which there is no explanation for, and we're not gonna give any God any excuses. Um, of any explanation, just please 
just as fast as this happened, turn it around, only you could Hashem. Hashem can erase this just as it started. Um, that's exactly what we know will imminently happen um, and change this right back to so much better than it was even before. And we know that God is the only one that, that can do this. But in the meantime, people are coming with a certain just shock and openness and and anything, any warmth that they're given just has tenfold or a hundredfold effect and support and meaning at this time. I find it amazing that like some of these kibbutzim are some of the most secular kibbutzim in Israel. And like we come in and I've seen them like just, it's completely transformed. It's so beautiful to see them like connect to you and want to have a relationship with you in a place that I think formally that wouldn't have been the case, especially not a few months ago. Right. And people are saying, the people from the kibbutzim are saying this um, straight out. You know, I was talking with uh, uh, a couple from one of the extremely hard hit, which they all are, but extremely hard hit kibbutz, um, who was saying, you know, at a Shabbat, a musical chalabake and, you know, just sitting there on the side and watching the children and, and even the adults just enjoying touching the dough and making challah. And he was talking to me, he, they, a couple, and they were saying, you know, what people don't understand is we understood the Palestinians. We were, we were there. We taught our children to love them and to, we thought that the more we would give them and the more understanding and, and compassion that that is what would change things. And we taught our children that these are good people and they're, you know, even people to have Rahmanism, to, um, to have mercy on. And we raised our children that way to think about their neighbors who are, you know, just a few meters away. And people like you, we wouldn't have looked your way. They said this to me. And, wow. you know, and, you know, as liberal as we may have been, there was, it was a very limited liberal, whatever felt good. Um, to us at the time, and suddenly we see that within our own world, we we couldn't embrace something that's so close to us. And now having that come and be a comfort, it, it's a real comfort, and not for any purpose other than just trying to be there for our fellow Jew. As far as you're saying, you know, secular kibbutzim, I don't really see it like that, especially now. And, and when I, my outlook from day one on this has been, you know, these people are living on the, what has been called until now the Gaza envelope. But I really, I really, really view this as Otef Israel. I think wow. everyone now sees it as the is Israel envelope, the, the communities enveloping um, Israel. And um, these communities, whether we knew it and whether they knew it and was speaking with them, I'm hearing from them that they themselves didn't recognize it, that their day-to-day -day living, however, however they chose to live, they're going to sleep and waking up and going through their day-to-day -day mundane life, seemingly not at all spiritual or not at all connected, um, was actually a very holy living. They were with their life and their day-to-day, everyday living, protecting all of Am Yisrael and all of Eretz Yisrael with their very bodies until, unfortunately, it had to come to Masirut Nefesh Bepal, actual giving of their lives for their fellow Jews and for Eretz Yisrael. Unfortunately, it came to that. And we now are just trying to give back any little bit that we can. We're very grateful 
And it's not, no, these are not secular Jews. There are no secular Jews. These are Jews who gave their daily life of living exactly that, their, their most mundane part of life, going to work, taking care of their children, eating, sleeping, however they chose and whatever they did, just in going about their daily lives, they were protecting all of their fellow Jews all over Israel and all, and they were protecting the entire land of Israel um, so that we can, you know, have the privilege of living in Eretz Israel wherever it is, whether it's Eilat, Yerushalayim, Tel Aviv, wherever it may be. And they've been doing this holy job for us, for all of the Jewish people. And now we have the holy job of just protecting them and, and cushioning them in any way that, that we can that will help the blow in any way. I love the slogan, Otzfim Ba'ava. The slogan of Chabad of Eilat right now is Otzfim Ba'ava. We envelop you in love. We embrace, you, we embrace you back. Because these children from the Atef, they are so traumatized. It's just interesting. Like you sit with them and they'll just say, like the teenagers will be like, well, this girl was killed in my class and that one was killed in my class. And on the street, they want to talk about what they've experienced. And it's, it's just to see little kids walking around with guns, like fake guns, like trying to protect their friends. It's very sad. It's very heartbreaking, I think. When people, when you're sitting in Australia, you're sitting in New York and you're sitting on the news and you're worried about the free Palestine people, you're worried about all the anti-Semites, then you come here and like, none of that is important anymore. You know why we're fighting, we're fighting so that these little kids never have to experience the trauma and our future children never have to experience the trauma of what happened three months ago. And it's just been probably I can say for myself the past three weeks honey like you gave me the greatest opportunity of my entire life and it's so true that just doing the little things it's really cute the other day I was sitting on the couch with one of these girls she's like I'm like I'm Chabad she's like what's Chabad I'm like you know the Reva and I'm like showing her pictures of the Reva she's like I've never heard about the Reva <laughs> and it was just so nice to like these people but we've I would have never encountered them like through all the pain it's like We've created such beautiful relationships with these people, and it's it's been such a blessing. I don't know how how has it been for you? How's it been for your community, your family? Um, I would say it's also a blessing. I wouldn't say it's not hectic. Um, there's been different stages of the war. You know, the first few, at least two months, was just really nonstop adrenaline, and it's still nonstop, but not. But somehow, I guess we got into some sort of um, getting used to and finding some sort of system that works. First of all, we are so grateful for the groups of very mature young women, young men who have come and just given themselves for a month at a time. We can't do it less than a month because you see, you build relationships with these children and until, and you need to be there. You can't just waltz in and out of their lives. And if we're going to be there to support them, we need to do it in a way that really supports them. And that's good for them and not necessarily, you know, what works for the volunteers or for those who want to give. We're, we're trying to give in a way that's significant. And these volunteers have come and taken, you know, a month out of their professional lives. We're dealing with uh, mainly, thank God, mature young men and young women who have, who are working in their professional lives and coming and giving their all to not just the children. I see it to the women, to the families. It's moving to the, to the chayalot and the chayalim who are working with them, um, that we're embracing the entire family. Um, we found some, some sort of normalcy within the franticness. We're inundated with 
Jewish communities around the world who would like to find a way to help. Sometimes it's, it takes a little bit of um, uh, creativity to figure out how we could connect what the help that communities are able to give or would like to give to what is actually needed on the ground um, because the greatest need is just the regular programming. But they feel so embraced also when a Jewish community for somewhere in the world would like to just pamper with, you know, just taking care of the women. You know, you're saying the children and how they're going to be um, after this, but they actually are first, one of our first lines that we're realizing are the parents. They need to be healthy to be able to be there for the children. Um, just giving, embracing the parents, the mothers and the fathers who are raising these children and are right now, we know what that's like when you yourself are just in absolute shock or need to recover from some sort of trauma and being available, trying to be available in a healthy way for your children all through that. And at the same time, not even having a home base or even a plan for the next week or month and knowing when you'll go back to a home, when you'll be able to rebuild or build for afresh what that normalcy looks like. So we are just trying to give and embrace in any way we can. Um, and these hugs from the Jewish communities around the world are extremely helpful, but nothing's enough. That, that, that's, that's what's hard is like you give and you just know you have to give so much more. So there is no stopping. Um, and you're asking how we do it. It's, it's because that, because we, we are lucky to be able to see the immediate results. So we get to see the connections made and how, how deeply it affects. And so it just helps us to be able to just not stop. And as long as there's a need to be able to keep doing programming and be able to just keep figuring out how we can give something more and more. Is there like a specific story that you can share that really is one like movement in the past three months? You can think of something that was probably one of the most like transformative or really made it feel like everything was like worth it. You know, it's hard to say one moment because every single moment, like every, you just see every connection, it just really uplifts, you know, I think it's the moments when, especially more in the beginning, now I've kind of gotten used to it and I kind of have a theory around it of where that came from. But, you know, in the beginning when we would come in and, you know, do a program or, or talk with people and the people we're interacting with are just so, so grateful in a way that just doesn't some, seem equal to what we're, so to say, giving. Um, and just saying how much it's moving them. So it's those moments when people are just so grateful for for what seems like almost nothing on my part until I realized that something about what we have in us, the way we've grown we grew up and our view, our fellow, it's just it's immediately felt around us. I think this is what we nursed from the Rebbe of the Rebbe's outlook on on our fellow Jew, on the world, on um Chinuch and education and on ourselves that it's just people feel it. People feel that we are truly there for them. We're in the moment with them. We're not looking at them as some an, another person, but as part of us and as part of our whole. And I think they feel that, that it's very, very genuine and that we're coming with love and sincere um, um, feeling what they're going through, even though we can't really, really understand it and feel it, but we're, we're there with them. Um, just how Hashem is with the Jewish people in their time of tzara, of great need, and each Jewish person is with their fellow Jew in this terrible time. We feel it from the world around, how the Jewish world has just can't relax right now. Their eyes and, and hearts are here in pain, 
and in the suffering with the Jewish people here and just trying to do something to alleviate somewhat some of what's going on. Um, I don't think people really realize how deeply affected every single person is, how much trauma people are living with on the day-to-day. We had volunteers here, um, a couple old, uh, of our male volunteers who were working with teenagers and younger children, and they had already been here for a month and a half in Israel, in Yerushalayim, and on army bases, and working, you know, doing war things, and working with people. And then they came here for a weekend. We needed more, we needed um, some more staff. And they came here and they started, they're from their first day working with the kids here. They said, oh, we haven't encountered something like this. Every single child has a story and lived through, like, now we're understanding what this war is. Um, This war is just multitudes and multitudes of lives changed forever. There's so much work to do, but I feel like being in a lot like this, I'm saying I'm sure there's so much work. I feel like sometimes it's not like, what are you doing? You're sitting and beating with kids and talking with kids. But this is like where the work is. These are the kids that have been through everything. And like, you see it in their eyes. And like through this experience, you realize like obviously making food, but actually like having connections to these people and like giving them love and making them see firstly that we're from whole, we're from out of Israel. We love and care about you. That even yesterday, this lady came out to us and she was like, the fact that you came from Hull, it's not even about the tambourine making. She's like, thank you for coming and being here and thank you for being there for us. And it was like so simple. And they were like, we, it was just, it was really special to see that people just want to realize and to be heard what they've been through. So it's, it's, this um, is the work. Thank you, honey. I have no words to explain to you. <laughs> um, I, you know, you were asking me for about a story. I don't know. I don't, I don't see it as a story. There's so much like this that's happening. But, um, last week at our, at the musical Chalabake, which is a huge opportunity for people to just touch dough. We th- originally thought that we were making these Chalabakes for kids mm-hmm. when we started them at the beginning of the war. Um, and it was like, okay, how many kids are in the hotel? Okay, 200. So we bought 200 pieces of challah and 200 pans and, you know, made arrangements with the chef for, you know, that amount of kids. And then, um, we used up our dough for three challah bakes at the first challah bake because the amount of adults, fathers with guns strapped on them and grandmothers and grandfathers and, you know, the chayalot and everyone making the challah and being like, oh, thank you. And this is our first time touching, you know, being in the kitchen. And until we quickly realized that the challah bakes, um, with of course a musical accompaniment, which is just is beautiful for everyone, um, was actually for the whole family and was so therapeutic aside from the whole side of bringing Shabbat into their lives in a meaningful way. And at last week's challah bake, um, we were saying goodbye to a kibbutz that was moving on to their new, they were very hard hit kibbutz and they were moving on to their new temporary homes, which means for the next two to five years. Um, in another community where the government is setting them up. So it was a very emotional time. It's a very scary time for the kibbutzim, kind of they've been in a bubble here in a lot, being able to somehow land somewhere that's kind of uh, cut off from the rest of the world, isolated in some ways. And there's been difficulties with it, but there's also been just sort of a kind of a, a calm holding time before they're starting now, kind of building their real lives in apartments and having to face reality and having the reality set in. Um, but at this challah bake, I saw a grandmother holding a baby. It was obviously a grandmother. I said, oh, how old is the baby? Two months old, and babies touch everyone's hearts. I went and, you know, came around talking to her, and 
quickly understood that the baby's mother gave birth on her own. Um, the baby's father is kidnapped in Aza. Um, the mother's obviously enveloped in love from the family and everything, but nothing could take the place of the trauma she's going through inside and has gone through through the end of her pregnancy. Um, and, you know, going through this postpartum period under extreme trauma and having to get through it on her own with just, you know, as she puts it, she has no needs of her own. It's just her husband, her husband, just pray for her husband. And, you know, that we need the baby's father to come. And, you know, even the baby's name, the significance of that, you know, as part of the father's name and part of the future of the Jewish people. And then at the end of the Chalabek, when the Chalabek was all over, we were um, clearing up and, you know, another woman came over and she just looked like she wanted to talk. And we took out some art supplies and she started painting and she was, became clear after speaking with her that she had just given birth two weeks ago. And her husband's in Aza, kidnapped, not fighting in Aza, her husband's kidnapped to Aza. So there were two women here and, you know, within the span of an hour that I'm meeting that are, they're both postpartum at different stage postpartum. Their husbands are in Aza and they just gave birth to children. Um, beautiful little girls, um, and their that's their new daily life of not having needs for themselves. The only needs they could think of is is that their husband should be okay and the father of her, their children. And um, I had the privilege of then here in Eilat, we have a Irgun, an organization called Chifra Pua. It's all over the world, actually, that the Rebbe started for um, women who just gave birth, and we try to support them in any, any way. And part of that is just making them homemade, nutritious breakfast full of love. And so um, two days later on Sunday morning, I was able to bring, um, there was actually another newly, uh, a mother who had just recently given birth, so I made three breakfasts. I was able to bring it over and also gift um, sets of tefillin to these kidnapped heroes who are, were waiting to bring home but they didn't have to fill in, so we were able to gift it to their families to hold on to for them. And the tears that that brought, I, I can't even, you know, I would say tears of joy, but it's not, it's just the emotions that that brought out of having a pair of fill in with their husbands and their son's name on it. Um, and trying to just do anything little spiritually and physically to help everyone we come in contact with. So that's the type of thing that we're coming in contact with daily. I'm going to ask you a final question, and that is, what is your message to the world right now? What do you want everyone to know in this hard time? I see this time as a huge etretzon. We, we can't make any explanation of this, but it's also a time when we're all, every single one of us is very open. The Jewish people is having a huge shakeup. We don't know what it means. I mean, we do know we're on the way to, Hashem has a plan here. It needs to be revealed immediately and in the best way and in revealed good. But we, the Jewish people and the entire world is having a huge wake up here and a huge shake up. And everyone's very open. Our neshamas are all very open. And that openness is also making us affect each other so, so greatly. Like this huge fire out of each person that that's just, you know, you touch someone and it just ignites them. And I think we need to use that to just affect our surroundings, the people that you come in contact with, with that neshama love, with that neshama um, openness and being ready to do a little bit more begashmias physically and beruchmias spiritually for each other. I found that, you know, when we were in the beginning weeks and we were just taking care of such physical needs of people, I was really, to me, it was just so clear, the Hayyamim that talks about that the physical needs of a Jew are spiritual but then I quickly had to also find a place of kaychas for myself. And I went back to that place. And I thank God that we have our, the Rebbe's 
teachings and the Rebbe's guidance over so many years that we know what to do, of also using this time of of Esratzayin and of huge um, fire to also use that for strengthening our limotara, our tefillah, and mitzvahs, you know, using this time to, to just tap into that spiritual um, whatever it is that's going on in the world now and to affect others because our we could see it here in Eilat how every single thing we do just affects the people around us, affects has cosmic effects on the world around us. And that's also what I've been saying is like to our volunteers, you know, we don't know, we do, we, get, we, we are privileged to see the immediate feedback, but a lot of it is also we know it, we could just feel that it's long-term and we don't know where it's going to affect these people's lives in the future as they move on. Something has changed in the interactions with um, people, with neshamas interacting with each other. It's, it's going to be going on with these people um, and taking them to, to new places um, as they move on and that we are sure of. I don't know if I answered your question, but... That was beautiful. Thank you so much. Maybe very soon to the complete victory. With and um, only we're built good in the world. Thank you for Amen. everything, honey. I mean, thank you're you. Amazing. Thank you. You've been wonderful. You're amazing. Thank you, everyone. <laughs>